Nice to see you all. It's nice to be here. When our son Todd went off to college in New York, he would occasionally you know, call back in, check in with us, let us know how his week was going. And, and one time uh, he said, you know, I just finished reading this book uh, called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And he said, you know what I discovered? I discovered that being a Christian is essentially just a matter of having a relationship with God. It, it's knowing God. And we said, yes. <laughs> you can imagine how that warmed our hearts because, yes, in fact, this, this is the heart of it. There are a lot of other ways to answer the question, what is a Christian or to define a Christian? But, but John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And Jesus said that at the end of time, at the, the, the judgment, he is going to have to say to some people who had done great things, even great things in his name, he's going to have to say to them, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So whether we know Jesus and he knows us in this sense is a matter of eternal life and death, which is partly why our mission statement begins with this phrase. We seek to know and show the enduring truth and love of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sure you'd all agree we need to know his love and truth before we can show them to others. But right here is a a potential problem because in our congregation, we are likely to see this word know and think it means intellectual knowledge, facts, especially Bible facts. We're really eager to know the enduring truths of Jesus. But there's more to this than that. We insist on sermons based on the Bible. We had before COVID, and we will again after COVID, have Bible studies and Sunday school classes, everything focused on knowing the Word of God. It's important to us, and that's good and right. But there is more to knowing God than intellectual knowledge. So I'm praying. My, my hope today is to kind of reset our understanding of what this mission statement means to bring it more in accordance with what Scripture means when it talks about knowing God. <clears throat> we'll start with a little quiz. How many of you know President Biden? Okay. One does, okay. No, he, he's kidding. Okay. Uh, how many of you know Prime Minister Boris Johnson? No. Anybody know Chinese President Xi Jinping? No. But how many of you know something about those people? Well, yes. See, we do, and, and that's the difference, see? So one of the problems is that our English word know can have a whole range of meanings, and the question for us is, what does the Bible mean when it talks about knowing God? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, one that I've used often as a, a benediction, is Ephesians 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This Greek word translated know him better, it means personal recognition, uh, personal acquaintance, experience of something, not just an intellectual understanding. This prayer is asking for God's help so that we can know him in a personal way, not just know some facts about him. Later in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays that you, being rooted and established in love, They have power together with all of God's saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. We would say, I'm praying that you'll really get this. You know, it starts with this firm intellectual grasp 
of all the facts and their implications. I get it. Yeah. But then it goes beyond that to this knowing that is surpassing knowledge. How can you, how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, I, I think the New Living Translation nails it with their, their paraphrase. It says, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Yeah, we want to experience his love. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, whatever was to my profit, he means anything I had that could give me points with God, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to, (laughs) wait for it, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul talks about knowing God in the way that we use the word intimacy. He's talking about personal relationship, an acquaintance, an intimate relational kind of knowledge. So I hope to tantalize you this morning, sort of whet your appetite, and encourage us all to press on to know the Lord in this way. Let me share with you some more of my favorite verses about this. Psalm 16:5. You alone, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Well, David is comparing his relationship with God to Israel's inheriting the promised land. And he says, I got the best part of the land. I got the best deal because I got God himself. He's my inheritance. He's my portion. What could be better than that? What could be more delightful? A number of passages speak of the joy of knowing the Lord. Psalm 1611, you've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God, to God who is my joy and my delight. Do you know this joy, this delight, this pleasure in him, friends? I mean, or is your relationship with him all in your head? Here's another one in that same vein, Psalm 63. Because your love is better than life itself, my lips will glorify you. My soul will be satisfied. He means in the context, my soul will be satisfied with your love as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Well, when we do experience his love, then we can be satisfied at the very deepest level, like when we push back from Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) I can't take any more. Well, Ashley's going to come and sing a song that she found that really captures the essence of this kind of a relationship with our Lord Jesus. No one ever cared for me like Jesus.
my children tell their children Let this be their memory That all my treasure was in heaven And you were everything Thanks, Ashley. That just, it just says it really well. I love that song. 
So the most intimate relationship that we know is between husband and wife. And, and God even dares to use that figure of speech, that imagery, to describe his relationship with us. Isaiah 54, 5 says, Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. And Isaiah 62, 5, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. God loves us like a husband loves his bride. And, and that's why it makes him angry when we let something else get ahead of him in our heart or even compete with him in our heart. I mean, he loves us intensely, and he is rightfully jealous of our affection and our loyalty. Well, I read these verses, and I hear songs like this, and I, there's something in me that sort of leaps up and says, yes, I want that. <laughs> I want that kind of intimacy with God that these ancient Jews had. I mean, I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. I can certainly do this. This is my birthright as a child of God. And so it is, because I am Abba's child, and so are you. You may know that in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's name is mentioned frequently, 18 times in those three Gospels. But in John's Gospel, his name is not mentioned once. He refers to himself four times, but always with the phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Brendan Manning says, Oh, the song we sang earlier, lay back against him and breathe and feel his heartbeat. Yeah, so remember that picture in, in uh, the upper room? John is leaning up against Jesus' chest. He's feeling his heartbeat. And Manning, Brandon Manning has this long thing about who Jesus is, quoting from the Council of Nicaea or something. But he, but he, he summarizes this way. He says, if John were to be asked, what's your primary identity, your most coherent sense of yourself, he would not say, I'm a disciple, or I'm an apostle, or I'm an evangelist. He would say, I am one loved by God. <laughs> I'm one Jesus loves. So the question for us is, is, is that true for you? Is that how you see yourself in your relationship with Jesus? Do you know him like that? See, that's, that's the direction we want to go as a church. We want to know and then show the enduring truth and love of Jesus. In lots of different ways, the Bible assures us that our primary relationship with God is that of father and child. It describes that relationship in lots of other ways as well. But this one is fundamental. This is the primary thing. Jesus told us when we pray, say, our father. Right? Now, I'm sure you've known this for a long time, but, but does this truth, does this intellectual concept penetrate your heart? Does it affect the way you see your relationship with him? Does it affect the way you think and feel? Or, worse yet, and I, I hate to have to mention this, is the notion of God as your heavenly father a negative idea? Because I'm aware that all too many people have had terrible relationships with their human fathers. And, and so the idea of God being their heavenly father isn't all that attractive to them. I don't have time to develop this right now, but <laughs> be happy to talk with you later. God is your loving heavenly father. He is not like your imperfect human father. So when you think of your relationship with God, what's the first mental image that comes to mind? What title do you use most often to address him? How do you see your relationship with him? Is it like master and servant, 
or I hope not, judge and criminal, <laughs> or savior and sinner. How, how do you see that? Just, just give yourself 10 seconds and, and think about what, what mental image comes to mind as you think about your relationship with Christ. I'll tell you what it is for me. Um, I grew up visiting my grandparents uh, frequently who had a place on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. And I, I grew to love being on and around the water. <clears throat> so it, it turns out that when I think of my relationship with Jesus, I picture uh, him and me uh, walking alongside a body of water. Uh, on our left, there's this big building, and we're walking along this path, and on our right is the water, and we're walking away from me where, I, where I'm, my perspective, I don't see our faces, but I, I see the strong arm of Jesus wrapped affectionately and protectively around my shoulder, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I'm his own. I'm Abba's child. And so are you. And because that's who we are, we want more and more of him. We want a closer relationship with our daddy, like David did when he prayed in Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. Well, when David wrote this, there was no temple in Jerusalem. It was his son Solomon who built the temple. <clears throat> David is thinking about that spiritual dimension where the presence of God is to be found. And he says, this one thing I do <laughs> is more important to me than anything else in my life. I want to dwell in God's presence all the time, every day. I want to be able to just gaze at his beauty to contemplate how glorious he is and I want to seek him. I want to get to know him better. Now, this is the testimony of a man who has drunk deeply at the well of intimacy with God. Because the more of him we experience, the more of him we will want. Amazingly, <laughs> this is God's desire too. As it says just a little later in this same psalm, verse 8, You, Lord, have said, seek my face. And my heart responds to you and says, your face, Lord, do I seek? Oh, we had a, a gracious invitation from God to seek him. Now, you understand this phraseology, seek my face, right? This is, this is figurative language. Unfortunately, we don't get to see his face literally until we get to heaven. <clears throat> but it's a figure of speech that suggests a personal relationship. It's not a text. It's not an email. It's not a handwritten letter. It's not even a phone call. It's a face-to-face -face kind of relationship. Not just intellectual knowledge of some of the Creator's ways and attributes. It's a real relationship. I'm trying to awaken in you, reawaken in you perhaps, a desire to be much closer to God, to, to know Him better, better than you do now, maybe better than you ever have in your whole life. I want to make you so thirsty for God that you'll pray this prayer from David in Psalm 42. Pray this with me. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God. When can I go and meet with God? Right? That's my prayer. Wow. Well, if your soul really does thirst and pant to know God better, what are some things you could do to grow in this area? 
Well, before I mention anything specifically, I want to caution us that these things don't work mechanically. There's not a a one-to-one correspondence between how diligently we do these things and the degree of intimacy that we will experience with him. We're talking about a relationship, not a machine. But these practices will put us in the place where God can find us. Uh, They enable us to imitate blind Bartimaeus, who, having heard that Jesus was going to be on the road to Jericho, plopped himself beside the road, just sat there waiting for Jesus to come by, hoping for an encounter with him, right? That's what we do. Uh, Leighton Ford tells a story about a a disciple who is being taught by a a, a more mature Christian, a teacher, how to grow in his faith. And one day he asked the teacher, is there anything I can do to make myself grow spiritually? And the teacher said, as little as you can do to make the sunrise in the morning. (laughs) The disciple is greatly distraught, really disappointed to hear that. He says, well, what's the point of all these spiritual exercises and disciplines and practices you've been teaching me? And the teacher said, those are to make sure you're not asleep when the sun rises. Okay. So here are four things we can do to make sure we're not asleep. Uh, The first is a daily time with God. Now, you no doubt know this as a quiet time or a time of devotions, and I'm guessing most of you have such a thing built into your daily routine. If you don't, this is a place to start right here. Uh, But I know from personal experience that there are some things we have to do to make sure that this, this practice actually attains the purpose for which we're doing it. What we want it to do is to draw us closer to God, to help us get to know him better in an intimate, relational way. But I know that all too often this time can become sort of routine. Uh, We're just going through the motions, checking it off our to-do list. Okay, I had my quiet time today, you know. And and when that happens, then the, the quiet time becomes the goal rather than the means to the goal of getting to know God better. And when that happens, when the cry time becomes the goal, then it becomes a law in the biblical sense. It becomes something we feel like we have to do in order to be acceptable, in order to measure up, in order to feel good about ourselves, and that is the path to spiritual death, as I know from personal experience. The key to spiritual life is to see this time each day spent in his presence as time spent with the lover of our soul. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Or to change the image is time spent with our Heavenly Father, our Abba Daddy. How great would it be to spend uh, 30 minutes, an hour, however long do you have, you know, with your Father who knows every last thing about you and loves you anyway? Or another image. Jesus said he, called, he was calling his followers friends. Oh, my goodness. So get yourself a cup of coffee and have coffee with Jesus. Huh? Spend this time with him. I had a pastor who, who said that his, the goal for his quiet time was to get his soul happy in Jesus. And at the time, that was really revolutionary for me because I was in seminary, and I thought the goal of my quiet time was to learn as much as I could about the Bible. Well, yes, I want to learn something about the Bible. I read three commentaries in my quiet time this morning. But the goal of the quiet time is to get with Jesus, to have, have that relational connection with him. So we read scripture, and we do it with the prayer of the boy Samuel on our lips. He prayed, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Huh? 
speak. What do you have to say to me today from this passage? For too many Christians, this time gets reduced to reading a short devotional written by somebody else about some passage, and then reading a short prayer written by somebody else about this passage, and it just sort of doesn't penetrate. I want to read with my head, but I also want to read with my heart. Lord, your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. Penetrate my head, yes, please, but all the way down to my heart, right? Penetrate the core of my being. I want to know you better. Speak to me. And by the way, the only wrong way to have a quiet time is the way that you've been doing for so long that it's become stale and boring. Change it up. Listen to Christian music that talks about the Bible and you know it's, it has Christian themes in it instead of reading the scripture. Pray the Psalms. Write your own psalm. Uh, meditate on the attributes of God. Draw the scripture. Uh, here, here's an example. This is Barbie's... Do you have this slide? Yeah. Oh, can we see it? Oh, there it is. This is Barbie's uh, drawing of uh, Romans 15, 13. Hey, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she's just meditating on this verse while she's drawing this. Now, I could no more do that than fly, but for you artistic types, maybe this will help you. Eh? <laughs> um, read other people's prayers. I did that. I have done that. Here's one. The private devotions of Lancelot Andrews, one of the translators of the King James Bible. Oh, my goodness. These are weighty things. The Book of Common Prayer, used today by many liturgical churches. You might not like the liturgy, but the people who wrote these prayers knew God, and they knew their Bible. Some great prayers. And then a much more contemporary one, Gorillas of Grace. There have been times when I was just stuck spiritually. I couldn't pray. This helped me pray. So do whatever you have to do to keep your time with him fresh. Another way to develop an intimate relationship with God is to, to, is to spend time with him in silence and solitude. Uh, Pastor Brian mentioned this a few weeks ago. It's basically, it's just an extended quiet time. It's responding to Jesus' invitation in Mark 6.31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. This is an incredible invitation from him to his followers. They're exhausted. They've just got back from their first short-term mission trip, going around all the different villages. They've been preaching the gospel, casting out demons, healing people. They get back, they connect up with Jesus, but there's this huge mob, you know, clamoring to see Jesus, and they can't talk with him, they can't process it. So Jesus says, hey, guys, let's get out of here. Let's get away someplace quiet where we can just hang out together and you can rest and be refreshed in my presence. Oh, man. Well, I realize that this idea of spending extended time in silence and solitude is a lot harder for you extroverts than it is for us introverts. <laughs> so I'm sympathetic to a point. <laughs> But I still think you ought to try it. <laughs> this, is, this is a great spiritual practice that people in the Bible did and the great saints of history have, did, have done. So start small. Get away for an hour. 
and maybe two, and maybe a half a day, whatever. But again, we, re- we approach this time like blind Bartimaeus. On the road. We just plop ourselves beside the road. We do the things that put us in a place where Jesus might come by and we could have a real encounter with him. No expectations, but lots of expectancy, hope, longing, wishing, thirsting for the living water that only Jesus can give. For most of my life as a pastor, I've taken one day a month uh, to get away, spend this time with the Lord. Uh, When I'm here in Colorado, I usually go to Rocky Mountain National Park just because it helps me being in creation to sense his presence. Some days I'll hike. Uh, Many winter days I'll spend the whole day in my car. I've been sitting in my car in Horseshoe Park with the wind driving the snow sideways so hard my car was rocking back and forth and I was exulting in the wild power of God. (laughs) And praying that the wind of the Spirit would blow like that through my life and this church. Yes. (laughs) I have the freedom there to sing and not feel self-conscious. I have the freedom there to pour out my heart with tears. My regular quiet times with God are good, and that's foundational to my walk with him, but I have to say to you, I've, I've been able to, to sense his presence much more intensely, to really develop my relationship more consistently when I make the time to get away with him, to respond to his invitation, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So I urge you to do the same, and if, if you'd like to try it, uh, let me know. I've got, I've got a guide that will help you know what to do with your time because you're probably wondering what in the world would I do with three hours. Right? I've got some ideas. Okay. And by the by, as, uh, as Dave mentioned, Fifth Friday is next Friday. And so here we'll have prayer stations at different places around and you can come in and spend as much time as you want with the Lord. Two of those stations will be specifically related to developing our relationship with the Lord Jesus. A third way to get to know God better is to listen for him to speak to you. You know, there are many times in the Bible that it says God spoke to somebody. In my NIV concordance, I found 588 times where it says either God said or the Lord said. Now, God, he's always talking to his people. Now, now, we don't know if these people heard audible sounds or if he just put words in their minds. I don't think it really matters. The important thing is that God has always been speaking to his people, and he's still doing that. He didn't stop speaking to his people when the Bible was written because he too longs for this kind of intimate relationship with us, and it's hard to have a real relationship with someone who never talks to you. Now, before you get the pitchforks out, let me hasten to add that I don't think that uh, God is revealing any new truth Uh, you know, when he speaks to his people today. There's not new revelation on a par with Scripture. These are expressions of his love for his children. He's trying to develop a relationship with us. And I realize it's all too easy to misunderstand what we think we're hearing, to get it wrong entirely. You know, people have done gone off on some wild hair things, even just in the last few months in our, in our country. People have made all sorts of ridiculous claims that they said God told them this, that, and the other thing that wasn't true. Yeah. And that's why we follow the biblical principle in 1 Thessalonians 5. Test everything. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. So if what we think we heard lines up with Scripture, hallelujah. If it doesn't, we reject it out of hand. 
Again, if you'd like to try this, I might just suggest, you know, getting alone with God, spend some time reading scripture, singing some Christian songs, get your heart and mind in tune with him, and then just ask, Lord, is, is there anything you want to say to me today? Speak. Your servant is listening. And then just be still and listen and see if anything comes to mind. And if it does, write it down, and then you can check it against Scripture, see if that's consistent. Sometimes when I ask that question, I hear absolutely nothing. <laughs> so I, I wait what I think is a respectful period of time, figuring, well, I mean, he's, he's God. If he wants to say something to me, he, he can do it, right? <laughs> but I'll just wait for a period of time, and then if I don't hear anything, I go on. Okay, he didn't have anything for me today. But other times, uh, he does speak. He does put words in my mind. And on occasion, those words are extremely significant and relevant for where I am that day. Yeah. Honestly, friends, nothing builds a relationship better than having a conversation with someone you love. Well, there's a lot more that could and should be said about listening to God. I, I hesitated to mention it for fear I'd be misunderstood. But I'm convinced God still speaks to his children today. And when we stop and listen, and it's worth it when he does. So, many other ways to get to know God better. I'll mention just one more. Obedience. John 14. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, Jesus said, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Well, God loves everyone all the time, but... When we obey, it especially endears us to him, like when our kids and grandkids obey us. Yeah. So Jesus says, when we obey, it makes him and the Father love us all the more, and he will show myself to him. The word is manifest, uh, exhibit, make real. You want Jesus to be more real to you? Do what he says. <laughs> then he repeats that. He uses a different figure of speech. The Father and I will make our home with him, take up residence with us because he loves us, and he wants that kind of relationship that you can have with a family member who lives in the same house with you. So I have to ask here, is there anything that you know God wants you to do that you're not doing? Is there anything you know God wants you to stop doing that you're still doing? Because if there is, that's the thing that's blocking your intimate relationship with God. That's the thing that's keeping you from knowing him better. This is the place where you can make a change that will make a huge difference in your relationship with him. Well, we are exactly as close to God as we want to be. I wish that were not true, but it is, because if I wanted to be closer to him, I would do the things that will foster this kind of, of intimacy. I would spend daily time in his presence. I would get away every once in a while for an extended time of silence and solitude. I would listen to the still, small whisper of his Holy Spirit, and I would do whatever the Master says. So as we move into a new phase in our relationship with him in, in Faith Church, I want to encourage us and challenge us, certainly challenging myself to examine our relationship with God and take stock and, and see if you wouldn't like to be closer to him than you are. And if so, tell him so. 
Maybe an apology is in order if you've kind of drifted, if you, if you let, let things get stale. But now's the time to return. Seek his face. His promise is, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let's just take a few moments and you, you talk to God about your relationship with him. Lord Jesus, thank you for making yourself available to us by your spirit. We're, we're grateful, and we know we don't take full advantage of that. So help us, please. Draw us closer, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Woo us. Overwhelm us with your love and your presence, please. And Lord, as you've commanded us to do, we, we pray today for President Biden. Uh, we thank you for him. Uh, we believe that he's there by your, your action, your purpose. And we thank you for his faith. He practices his faith. And so we pray that as he does that, Lord, you would draw him closer and closer to yourself, that you would flood his mind with wisdom and his advisors with wisdom as they make really momentous decisions that affect our country in so many ways. We pray that you will use him to spread your concerns of righteousness and justice and peace in our country. And God, we pray that you'd make us good citizens, that you'd help us, too, to promote righteousness and peace, not anger and division. And please, remind us often to pray for this man. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.